Well, let me encourage you uh, to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 73, the reading that Dan read for us uh, just a minute ago. Page 586 is the page number in the Bible. You might also like to look on the back of uh, the service order. Uh, I've uh, put a very simple outline uh, of uh, this uh, talk and it will help you to see where we're going. And if you like taking notes, opportunity to scribble uh, on there at the same time. Psalm 73. Uh, Glyn Chambers was somebody that I doubt many of you have heard of. He was a young man living in New York when he first heard the message of Jesus Christ. Uh, The good news of Jesus so grabbed him that from that moment on he was in no doubt that he wanted to live his life in a way that would count for eternity. Very quickly he determined to give his life in missionary service. Uh, In time he went to a seminary uh, to study in preparation to work in Quito in Ecuador. He raised his support and he was all ready to go. When it finally came to the time to go out on missionary service, he boarded a plane in New York and had a brief layover in Miami before he went on to uh, ministry in Quito. He was so excited, he'd been preparing for this for years. In Miami airport, while he was on this layover, he wanted to send a note home, but he had no stationery with him, no paper to write on, and he found an old newspaper lying in the airport lounge. Uh, one where it had uh, sort of quite a lot of space around an advert. And uh, he scribbled a note on the newspaper, uh, managed to uh, find an envelope and mailed it home to his mum. Moments later, Glyn got on the plane in Miami and it took off for Quito. But he never made it. His plane hit a 14,000 foot mountain peak, burst into flames in the Colombian night and fell to the valley below and it killed everyone on board. Well, a few days later, as the family were preparing for the funeral, his mum received the letter that her son had sent while he'd been in Miami airport. She opened it and it told how excited he was about finally getting to minister for Jesus Christ in Quito. Uh, Of course, uh, those words were upsetting, but there was one word that gripped her. It wasn't a word that he wrote at all. It was a word that was already on the newspaper, on the other side. And it simply said, why? That was the word that was etched on her mind. Why? Why should my son who wanted to serve you die in this way? Or maybe you two had a Christian friend who died young and you think, why? Maybe you've served the Lord faithfully and your ministry has come to an end due to a terrible illness and you think, why? Maybe life's dealt you a pretty rotten hand and you're asking that question, why? Maybe it's the way that illness and death has struck this congregation in the last few weeks. It seems that we've been pretty much full of it in the last few weeks. You look at the way people have tried to serve the Lord and have suffered, while others who ignore the Lord all their lives seem to sail through life without a problem in the world. Why is that the case? And even if it's not a personal thing, we face the injustice of the world every day we turn on our television sets or read our newspapers, the scandal of the phone hacking revelations, the injustice of the atrocity in Norway in these last few weeks, that one man can take so many young lives. One of the theological truths that is central to us as Christians, almost unquestioned because it is so central, is the goodness of God. But you see, when we look around at the world, there are times when we are sure to question whether God really is a good God. And that is the big issue in Psalm 73. 
As you'll see at the top of the psalm, it's written by a fellow called Asaph. He was a wise man, a leader of God's people in Israel. More specifically, he was the worship leader of Israel. He wrote this psalm because he struggled with this very issue of the injustice in the world. He looked around at the world and he was honest with himself. And he couldn't quite square the fact that he knew that God was good, but it didn't seem as if God was good in everything he saw around him. There are three parts of the psalm, if you're taking notes. I've put the uh, three headings uh, on, uh, the, uh, the, on the back of the service order there. In verse 1, Asaph makes the proposal of God's goodness. Secondly, in verses 2 to 16, he points out the problems with believing that God is a good God. And then in verses 17 to 28, he talks about the perspective that enables him to understand with integrity that God is a good God. The first point then, the proposal that God is good. Look at verse 1 where Asaph proposes God's goodness. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Asaph believes this most basic fundamental Christian truth that God is a good God. His his theology told him that God is good. That's what the Bible taught. That's what he'd always believed. But there was enough in his experience that was different. Because it wasn't the good guys who seemed to be blessed by God. Have you noticed that? Look at verse 3. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now remember, in Jewish thought, success, good health and material wealth were marks of, of God's blessing. So it seemed to Asaph that God blesses the bad guys, the arrogant and wicked, as he puts it here. Why is it that those who don't play by God's rules are the very ones who do so very well in life? Why do good things happen to bad people? Is God really a good God? Think about it, dwell on that thought for a while and it can lead you to seriously question your faith. That's what it did to Asaph. Look at verse 2. As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Well, at this point we move to the second point, the proposal that God is good. Uh, From that proposal to secondly, the problem with believing that God is good. You see, if God is good, why do bad people do so well? And if bad people do so well, why... Don't I join them, frankly? Uh, Just as an aside here, please understand these words arrogant and wicked. The arrogant and the wicked in the Psalms are not a particularly bad group of people. No, the arrogant and the wicked are simply those who, who don't follow the Lord. For it is the greatest arrogance in the world to live life without reference to the one who gave us life and who continues to sustain our lives. Indeed, it is the greatest wickedness in the world to turn our backs on the source of all goodness. That's who the arrogant and the wicked are. So what a conundrum when people who live their lives without God seem to do so very well in God's world. See, think about that and I can begin to lose my grip in following Jesus. That's the point in verse 2. Just look how Asaph describes the arrogant and the wicked. It's a brilliant piece of writing. In verses 3 to 11, as we look through these verses, consider uh, who this describes in your life, in your office, among your friends, uh, at school or or university. See, these people have the Midas touch, verse 4. They have no struggles. And the second half of verse 4, 
Uh, their bodies are healthy and strong. They have uh, Baywatch bodies. Now, that shows my age, doesn't it? Anyway, some of you remember that. Tanned, fit, slim and beautiful. Nothing ever goes wrong for them, verse 5. They're free from the burdens common to man. Redundancy is not a word in their vocabulary. They're always lucky in love. They're a picture of health, frankly, second half of verse 5. They're not plagued by human ills. These people don't seem to be struck down by these mystery illnesses. And all this leads them to become so obnoxious, verse 6. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They're so full of themselves and they think nothing of mowing down anyone who gets in their way, second half of verse 6. They clothe themselves with violence. You know these sort of people, they're always on the make at someone else's expense, ducking and diving, scheming and conniving, verse 7. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. See, they don't seem to have a conscience. They don't lose sleep over the trail of broken lives they leave behind them. They have no concern for others. They'll happily walk all over you, verse 8. They scoff and speak with malice in their arrogance. They threaten oppression. Don't you get in my way. Don't you dare cross me. Don't you do it to me. The kind of thing they're saying. It's a brilliant description of so many people in this world, isn't it? Everything's going well for them. And maybe right now, as I'm going through these verses, you're thinking of someone who's just like this. And if you are, there's likely to be some pretty strong emotions rising up from inside of you particularly if you've been exploited, demoralised, broken even by someone like this, your heart will now be racing with every recollection of them and the way they hurt you, pushed you down, ruined your career, broke your heart, whatever it was. But what is really bizarre is that while we loathe people like this, while we detest their, their callous actions, and while we certainly don't want to become what they are, still we can't help but find ourselves envying them a bit, wanting to be in their position because everything goes so well for them. That's verse 3, do you see? For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. We've all met these sorts of people. They they think they're so great. They they even push God off his throne. That's verse 9, look. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Oh, I'm sure I'm going to get to heaven, they say. Me and the man upstairs, we're cool. The way they speak, you get the impression that the angels in heaven are waiting for them to arrive before the party can begin. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, verse 9, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Yes, the world really is their oyster. Oh, and the things they're going to do and accomplish, they're so full of themselves all the time. And of course, there's only one thing worse than the person who's always bragging about all they're going to achieve, isn't there? That's the person who's always bragging about all they're going to achieve and then they achieve it. People are like that. And people who are like that, they're they're like a magnet. They attract others to themselves. Verse 10, therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. Oh, we want some of that. And here's the real crisis for the psalmist in verse 11. Some people prosper even though they treat God like dirt. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? They treat God as if he was their slave and they get away with it. And these people don't seem to have a care in the world. They're doing very nicely, thank you very much, verse 12. This is what the wicked are like, always carefree, they increase in wealth. Now, you see, when we meet people like that, when you meet people who ignore God yet have everything, people who act as if they are God, 
Well, then you can really begin to question if there is a God, or if there is a God, if he's good. Or if there is a God and he's good, if he's powerful enough to act. Why doesn't God teach these people a lesson? Why doesn't he bring them down a peg or two? Do you see the problem? Have you ever thought? I'm sure you've thought about it. You see, when these people are so successful, even when they walk all over God, I can be tempted to conclude that there's not a lot of point serving God. That's what Asaph thought. Verse 13, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence. Why have I bothered following Jesus all these years? What is the point? Or if you're not yet a believer, why start following Jesus? What's the point of trying to live under God's rule, serving him faithfully? What's the point in all that? If those who ignore God, those who shun God, only, not only get away with it, but seem to be better off as a result of it, what is the point? Think about that for just a moment. It really does your head in. That's verse 14. All day long I've been plagued, I've been punished every morning. See, there is so much injustice in Asaph's world. It's the first thing he thinks about when he wakes up in the morning and it's still there when he goes to bed at night. The problem of injustice punishes him all day long. And I would, no, I would guess there's a number here who share Asaph's concern. You're doing your best to serve the Lord, but you're wondering if it's all a waste of time. Or you're thinking about becoming a Christian, but the injustice of the world just doesn't square up. And until we get some answers, you know, it's all pretty overwhelming. Verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people? Trying to understand it was oppressive to Asaph until verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destination, their final destiny. Now here's the turning point in the psalm, and we come to the third point uh, from uh, the, the perspective that enables us to believe with integrity that God is a good God. You see, in verse 17, everything changes in the psalm from this point on. This is where the theological conundrum is solved. This is where Asaph can swear his, square his belief that God is good with his experience in the world that the wicked get away with murder. Often psalms have a turning point. It's well worth looking out for them when you're reading the psalms. Well, verse 17 is the turning point in Psalm 73. Everything changes once Asaph gets God's perspective on the issue. I'll read from verse 16 again. When I, tried, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Do you see the difference between 16 and 17? In 16, he's trying to work it out. Entering the sanctuary of God in verse 17, coming into God's presence, hearing what God has to say, looking at it from God's perspective, now I understand. I wonder if you ever get the wrong end of the stick. Ever, ever, do you ever get the wrong end of the stick, misread the situation? I can remember being really shocked when I saw an older Christian man that I respected and admired, a, a Christian leader that I looked up to, holding hands in public with a woman who was young enough to be his daughter, frankly. 
I was really shocked until a friend of mine told me that it was his daughter. <laughs> you see, until I had the whole picture, I, I was completely thrown. And on, and on this issue of injustice in the world, I will be shocked until I get the whole picture. Verse 17 introduces us to the final destiny of the arrogant and the wicked. The arrogant and the wicked, remember, being all those who live without Jesus Christ. Here we see the final destiny of the arrogant and the wicked, and it couldn't be more different from their present state. For those who will not and do not follow the living God, it will not always be a stroll in the park without a care in the world. There will be a day when all wrongs will be put right. And the psalm gives us three vivid descriptions in verses 18 to 20 of how it really is for those who ignore the living God. The first picture is of a, of a rock climber, verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. See, here's a rock climber who's about to reach the summit, about to conquer the mountain, and then he just loses his grip and falls hundreds of feet to his death, dashed on the rocks below to ruin. Just moments before, he seemed to be successful, climbing so high, reaching the top. That's the fate of the wicked. Like the rock climber, they seem to be all-conquering. But when they come before the Lord Almighty, they will be brought crashing down. The second picture is, is of an idyllic stroll by the seaside, then something going horribly wrong. Look at verse 19. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? You can imagine the report in the newspaper, the headlines. A young couple were yesterday swept away by a freak wave while enjoying a walk by the sea. The report would tell how they were walking among the rock pools that jut out from the coastline. When out of the blue and totally unexpectedly, a freak wave washes them away. The report would continue that the Coast Guard have called off the search and all, uh, all hope of finding them alive has been lost. See, swept away, that's verse 18, and that's the fate of the wicked. Their life may seem to be as idyllic and as perfect as a holiday stroll by the seaside, but they're in great danger. In a moment, in an instant, at the end of their lives, they'll be swept away to destruction. The third picture is of having a wonderful dream, verse 20. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you'll despise them as fantasies. Have you ever had one of those dreams that, that when you wake up, you want to go straight back to sleep to, to get it back again? You know, a really beautiful dream. You go, oh, I've woken up. You know, and you're trying to go back to sleep again. It's, no, you can't get back in it, can you? It's really annoying. It was never real, you see. It was just a fantasy world. That's the fate of the wicked. On the final day, they are going to wake up with a start as they discover that to ignore God is to live in a dream world. To ignore God all your lives and think you can get away with it is to live in a world of make-believe. And when reality bites, coming face to face with the living God... You see, when we have this eternal perspective, it begins to answer the problem of injustice and suffering in our world. Here the character of God is upheld. The wicked will not get away with murder. Justice will be done. God is a good God. And we will see that on Judgment Day. The Lord will not turn a blind eye to evil and rebellion. I put a reference uh, on the uh, 
on the back of the service order there, Acts 17, verse 31. There's no need to turn it up. Just uh, listen uh, to it as I read it. God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Do you see what it's saying? A day has been set. The date is in God's diary. None of us know when it's going to be. But the day is in the diary. It's not in doubt. God will judge the world one day. And he will judge the world by the man he's appointed, Jesus Christ. And we can be sure that he's going to do that because of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is the sure sign that Jesus is going to be the judge of all people. Now you see, that is very good news. The arrogant and the wicked will not get away with murder. Having an eternal perspective changes everything. Seeing things from God's perspective keeps us sane and shows us uh, that it's, it's worth serving the Lord now. The atrocity in Norway uh, will ha- have a, a final judgment brought about. But if we lose that perspective and we doubt whether it's worth going on in the Christian life, well then, verse 21, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. See, uh, Asaph just looks back for a moment. He remembers at this point in the psalm, just before he had God's perspective. And he says, you know, when I was thinking, before I got these things clear in my head, when I was thinking wrong thoughts, I was just like a brute beast. If we think that this life is all there is, we won't serve God wholeheartedly. We'll become like brute beasts who only live for now. Our pet rabbit died this week. It was quite a week. I had my mum's funeral on Monday, the interment of ashes on Tuesday, and then we drove home to find the rabbit dead. And it wasn't, you know, the best ending to the... To the well, it was only the middle of the week. John Stott then died Wednesday, and I found out about that on Thursday. I hardly dared get up on Friday. I didn't know what was going to happen. But there was, there was Wednesday. We got home, and the rabbit was dead. And um, uh, anyway, I wasn't going to tell you all that, but uh, anyway, now I, I better, better finish off the story. I've never buried a pet, pet before. You know, I've always been... The, it's the first pet that we've got that's died, you see. So there's my daughter's in tears, and uh, I'm finding a box and digging a hole. It was the most surreal situation. And, and, uh, and then I'm, I'm saying this little prayer, thanking God for the rabbit and for, you know, for rabbits and how much fun they give us. And, and the girls are in tears, and I'm blubbing. And anyway, that was, that was, that was how it was. it was. It was a strange week. Um, and uh, anyway, that got me, got me thinking back to pets that I've had, you know. And, and I wrote a little card, it was Susanna's rabbit, and I wrote her a little card and said to her, I remember how much, you know, what it was like when I lost my first pet and, you know, how, how sad I was. And, you know, it was, it was a hard time for her. And, you know, I got loads and loads of cards when my mum died and I thought, oh, I need to give a card to Susanna because, um, you know, because her, her pets... I'm telling you far more than I've got in my notes here. You don't need to know all this information. Anyway, it got me thinking back to pets we had. And we, we, we had the, an old cat in, in our family called Kiwi. Uh, he was all black, you see. That's why he was called Kiwi. And he was a, a soppy old mocky and uh, a bit stupid, really. Not the sharpest tool in the box, even as cats go. And uh, like most domestic cats, all he did was eat and sleep. Nothing else. Eat and sleep. Uh, take Kiwi to one side one day and say, you know, Kiwi, do you have any plans for the future? Got any great hopes and aspirations for the years that lie ahead? You know, you're, 
Your years are drifting by, isn't it? About time you started doing something with your life. If you were to do that with Kiwi, he wouldn't even understand the question. I mean, actually, you'd be the real idiot for doing it because, you know, you don't talk to cats like that. But uh, the point is he lived for now, for the next meal, the next snooze, the next stroke. That's how animals live, isn't it? Asaph says, if we don't have an eternal perspective, we too will live like brute beasts, only interested in the here and now. So when we see people doing very well who don't serve the Lord, we will say, why am I serving the Lord? I'd be better not to, wouldn't I? That's what happens when we don't have an eternal perspective. We won't waste our time serving God. Asaph says it in verse 13, he says it again when he looks back in verses 21 and 22. Why am I bothering serving the Lord? But as soon as we've got this eternal perspective, it changes everything. See, while following the Lord isn't easy, when we see things from eternity, everything changes. Look at Asaph's words in verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. Aren't they wonderful promises? I'd be well worth, if you've got your own Bible, underlining verses 23 and 24. And see the contrast in the psalm at this point. Remember back to verse 2, Asaph said, I've nearly lost my foothold. He was almost ready to give up the Christian life. Well, he wasn't a Christian, but you know what I'm saying. He was almost ready to give up following the Lord. Verse 23 is why he never did. Do you see it there, verse 23? The Lord held on to him. You hold me by my right hand. Our eldest two um, twins, uh, Susanna and Bethan, they've just finished junior school uh, and will start secondary school in September. You know, it really does, at this moment, make you think that the the years are shooting by. And inevitably, these milestones make you reflect on when they were younger. I've done that as well this week. I can remember when they were at nursery school. And as we used to walk them home, this when we lived in London, when we used to walk them home from nursery school, they used to love love to walk on a little brick wall Uh, So I'd lift one of them up onto the brick wall and and hold their hand as they walked along. And they weren't very good at walking along the wall at that age. But, you know, they never fell off because I held their hands tight. They couldn't fall off. That's verse 23. Verse 23, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. God is a good God. A loving Heavenly Father who's got a, a, a tight grip a vice-like grip on his children's hands. See, he holds on to us even when the injustice of the world gets us down and we think, am I going to hold on? Yes, I am, because he's holding on to me. He's a gracious God who will guide us right through this life and take us to glory, verse 24. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you'll take me into glory. Wonderful. I wouldn't be at all surprised if there's one or two or maybe even more here this evening who've just been going through a hard time, not just in the last week, maybe for some months now and you're just clinging on, you've come to church. Maybe you come to church tonight and you're thinking this is the last throw of the dice. I don't know why I bother going, frankly. He'll hold on to you and he'll take you to glory. Hang on. It's a wonderful thing. When injustice is all around you, Don't despair. Have an eternal perspective and the Lord will hold on to you.
There's a magnificent transformation in this psalm. You see, look as we end at how um, things change. Uh, look, at, look at things as the Lord sees them and not only do we know that God is a good God but we know that he's a good God caring for his children. See the contrast from, from questioning why he bothered to follow God in verse 13. Asaph now delights in being in God's presence, verse 28. As for me, it is good to be near God. Just see what a change. From questioning God's goodness in verse 15, Asaph wants to tell everyone how great God is in verse 28. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I'll tell of all your deeds. It's a great transformation. And it comes about through having this eternal perspective. And so in this week, when a number of us have faced personal tragedy, when we've all seen the atrocities that have happened in Norway... In this week, when we could easily question God's goodness, read this psalm. Read this psalm to see things as they really are and you'll be wonderfully reassured that no one will get away with murder. Get an eternal perspective on life for it is the only way to make sense of this crazy old world that we're living in. Let's pray together. I will stand on 